welcome to Atlanta Mix 108. Up next is Author Talk with your host, ML Roostrack. But we have to. 
Absolutely. You think it's over, but then you got to relive it. And then afterwards, you know, I often, after the now that we're, I'm completed uh, Ghetto Bastard, Three Life After Death, mm-hmm. I look back and I say, wow, if all of those things didn't happen, I wouldn't have been writing these books. So Correct. I always look and say, everything happens for a reason. So this must be the reason because everything seems to be working out well and beneficial and hopefully um, it'll be able to help other people. So let's start with Ghetto Bastard, the first book. Can you tell us yes. where you start in your story process? I started out with my earliest memory, and I just I, I ran from there. I just kept going. And my earliest memory, well, a lot of my memories, was an abusive one. And I was a child. I was young, about two and a half. I wasn't even able to speak back then. Mm-hmm. But just like we know, children can remember everything. Exactly. Um, and I just went I, I went off of my memories, and they were hurtful. And I went back, and then as you start going back, and you, it kind of is like a domino effect. It, 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 you grow and you start even remembering more things. And, and, and it, it's, it, it, was, it was great. And I, I went through it, and then it was, I just kept going. I didn't stop, and it, it, it worked out beautifully. Well, I'm glad you're you're able to go through your childhood, write the book, even though the memories are painful, but you remember them and you were able to relay them in a work of art. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. And to myself, I didn't consider it a work of art. I was considering it therapy. But then as I started writing it and a couple of people started reading it, they were like, man, this is good, you know, uh, you should write a book. And I never considered it until I started writing it. And then once I started writing it, like I said, and people started reading it, I was getting good feedback, so I just continued. And what happened was that the first book was so long, the first book writing my memoir was about 600 pages, and my editor was like, hey, this is too much <laughs> for a first-time author. You know, you need to cut this down. And it ended up becoming two books. That's always a good start, though. Excuse me? When you go, that's always a good start when you have an idea and your your editor or your publisher tells you, hey, it's too long or this needs to be two books just because of length. That's always a good sign. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, she, she, yeah, and, and I have a good editor too, Lisa Ferris Holy. She um she has a couple of books out, and she used to uh, she was a, a, an actress before, and uh, she she really had me bring out a lot of stuff also because she would challenge me to be better at my writing and question certain things and put little comments and have me explain, and then as I did that then I started realizing my writing became a little bit better. She would tell me certain things not to focus on because one thing I had to some one thing I had to remember and I also had to remember in um book three was that the book is supposed to be about me and sometimes when you uh reliving the past you start focusing on certain individuals that may have done you wrong or different mm-hmm. things and and then you're, you're leaning off of it being about you and it starts to become about somebody else. So what my editor helped me do was focus on the book is about you. So 
so when I started writing, and then I would find myself leaning towards a certain character or putting too much into another character that was in my life, I would steer from it and, and focus back on me, which was a good, was good advice. Oh, that's an excellent advice when you're writing about yourself. I find that kind of story- storytelling the hardest because you don't really know what you're going to write about. Is the story really something that's going to be read? Even if you get good feedback at first, obviously it's an excellent story being an Amazon bestseller. Yes. <laughs> I can't stress that, that enough because that's a hard thing to get to. It, it is. It's hard work. and I mean, you have to work hard at it. A lot of people say, oh, I want to write a book, but they don't, you know, when they sit down and they, they want to write a book, they just want to write a book. They don't understand the the in-depth. You have to really concentrate. You have to really be in it 100%. You have to, especially, like, going through the editing and, and going over it because one thing I found out with my book was you can't edit yourself. A lot of people think they can edit themselves. I mean, it's just impossible. You know what I mean? Oh, so yeah. that makes sense. You're trying to read it. You, what you start doing is reading in your head what you wrote, but you're not reading the actual reading words, words itself. I find, right. So I found that out the hard way initially that trying to edit my uh, self and my and my wife uh, was a foolish task. <laughs> See, I'm lucky I have two editors. I have my first editor is my daughter, who is my little grammar Nazi. And then mm, okay. I have, yeah, she does all my line edits and all my grammar. Then I have my regular pre-publishing, which is through my publishing company, and they finish the edits. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So you get a little bit of a discount. Just a little bit. Yeah, I have to pay for all mine. (laughs) Well, see, certain publishing houses will offer discounts to their published authors. Yeah, but you know what? I I think with the way that I did it and, and, and I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a firm spiritual person. I mean, if you read the my thing it just says the testament of uh, the human spirit. Sometimes you know when you bond with somebody and I mm-hmm. ended up bonding like with my spirit with um my editor and they felt like to find a good editor who really knows um what you're saying or what you're trying to say and you can communicate and, you know, because mm-hmm. sometimes the best relationship is the ones not having to do with the book itself. And we had to develop right. a relationship and as we develop a relationship and they, a professional relationship, of course. Um, of course. And they understood uh, the type of person you are and your mentality and how you speak and your core values and things like that. And they were able to look at the book and say, oh, okay, this is, how he meant this, this is how it, and offer their different suggestions and things like that, which was... Um, it's always, always wonderful to have not only an editor, but anyone that touches your book, that gives you the feedback, able to connect with you. And with memoirs, you're able to connect more with your readers because they're going to really a piece of you through your eyes. Right, right. And, and the other... Part of it when dealing with the memoir, my memoir, especially, mm-hmm. um, was the family support because 
a lot of times um, people are writing their memoirs, but they have got a secrets and they don't want to put those things out there. Or they don't want to just, you know, come clean and just say right. anything out of fear of offending someone. Uh, you know, if you tell the truth, they're going to, you know, this person is going to be upset. So then they alter the truth a little bit. And then once you start altering the truth, then the memoir is not authentic and it doesn't scream out. But if it's authentic and you're, you're putting it all and you have that family support behind you, which is what I have, um, mm-hmm. it, it, just, it, it just screams off the page now. And, and, and that was a, that was a big thing, uh, family support. And I didn't feel like I had to have any secrets. I was able to just say the truth and put it out there because I just feel that it's not it's not wrong to make mistakes. It's wrong to keep repeating the mistakes. So right. in the book, in the memoirs, I made a lot of mistakes as a youth growing up in the South Bronx um, with all of the different uh, distractions, should we say, that are there for young men growing up in the poor ghetto areas. Um, I was able to speak it, tell my truth without any fear of repercussions from my family saying, oh, you did this, you did that. I got nothing but support. That's always excellent. I'm in the process of writing part of my life story, but instead of doing it through my eyes, which are clouded, I'm doing it through my grandfather's journal and and taking the word word for word from his journal. Wow, wow, wow. That's incredible. You know, that's so ironic that you say about the grandfather because my grandfather, he's dead now, God rest his soul. Um, But he was what I call the original ghetto bastard. Um, his mother, who raised me, I was raised by my great-grandmother, was yes. pregnant at age 15, around 1930, by a, um, a Caucasian gentleman. And she had two kids by him. And, of course, like I said, she was unmarried. And I mm-hmm. just think of the ridicule that she had to suffer back in those days and then the ridicule that he had he and his sister had to suffer um growing up being biracial in the nineteen thirties in Harlem. And I realized that it stemmed it came down it's not a hereditary thing, but the behavior was repeated um from my mother. Um so I Got a lot of inspiration from him, his story, mm-hmm. and my great grandmother, her story, and uh, that's why I named the book "Ghetto Bastard." One because I was raised by her. You know, my mother and father weren't married, product of a teenage uh, pregnancy, and mm-hmm. uh, that's where I got the bastard title from. And then, of course, I was raised in the Mott Haven section of the South Bronx which is right across the bridge from um, Harlem. So that's where the title came from. That is, like I said, it's a work of art that you were able to write this. It's inspiring because you put your life literally out there. Every word, everything is completely authentic. There's nothing been altered. No, not at all. Everything is completely true. And what also 
excuse me, also, you know, what I wanted to also dispel was the stereotype of a ghetto bastard child because there are a lot of children that are born to unwed mothers, not only in the South Bronx, but across this country. Mm-hmm. And they're fatherless, they don't have any role models, and they're subjects to the temptations of the, the street. And I wanted to dispel the rumors that we're all drug dealers or we all end up in jail. And I just wanted to show that anybody, no matter what your circumstances are, no matter where you come from, if you work hard, you can succeed. And Basically, I've been working hard all my life. And I'm going to keep on working. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's exactly what it comes down to, is your own personal You can't blame anybody else. You you might be able to blame them for your your circumstances that you're born into, but, Mm -hmm. I mean, you you can't be there 50 years later still complaining about, you know, oh, my mommy didn't love me, my daddy didn't love me, you know, I didn't have these opportunities, I didn't have that, because I heard a famous saying one time, I saw it on a TV program, and, some guy was complaining about he couldn't get a job, and the man said, man, if you really wanted to work, you work at Burger King in the daytime, Kentucky Fried Chicken at night, and McDonald's on the weekend. You know, to make exactly. Or if you want to work, you can work. And uh, that's, that's, that's just a little um, moral value that I've instilled, that has been instilled with me. I was, like I said, I was raised by my great-grandmother, and she was a domestic worker. And because she had the children at such a young age, she uh, dropped out of uh, high school, so she had a, a minimum uh, education. And one thing that people always said about her was that she was a hard worker. She took me in when um, I was four years old and she was about 60. And at that age, she was still a waitress at a downtown restaurant called, I think it was called the Beef Burger in downtown of New York. So this was a woman that was 60 years old taking care of her um, elderly mother at the time, working a full-time job, standing on her feet all day, and took me in at four years old. And you can't really appreciate that until you start to have kids and realize how much uh, energy a four-year-old takes. So... um, these are things that, that were instilled in me by my grandma, my great grandmother. My grandfather and my grandmother took me in when I was several times in my life. Well, it was back and mm-hmm. forth between my parents and my grandparents. At six, mm-hmm. they took me in permanently. My grandfather had just retired from the Fords. He ended up having to get a part-time job to support having a child on the house. Wow, wow. He made that sacrifice for you. Yes. My grandmother... We, we, seem, to have similar, we seem to have similar backgrounds background. here. Backgrounds. Yes, as far as with grandparents raising and, and having a moral value instilled mm-hmm. um, in us. Yeah. I, what I... Um, might I tell you the truth? What I benefited most from my great-grandmother raising me was old school values. She instilled work ethic, respect for your elders, respect for other people. I mean, just a lot of things that you don't see the youth of today um, implementing or the behavior. 
so And I so I, 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 I get that from her. She instilled that in me from a young age because I was raised by, you know, someone who shouldn't have been, you know, how many people even know their great-grandparents? So you're right. talking about somebody that, right, from, like I said, she was born in 1913. So we're talking old-school values. So And that's something that I've instilled in my children also. And uh, it works. It works. Yeah. Old-school values. I believe in them 100%. Oh, so did I. <laughs> I try to teach my daughter as much about values, old school values, not this common stuff that they teach nowadays. I don't even want to know. I don't even know what they teach. I just think it's it's, it's crazy. And something she taught me, too, is family. I mean, family is everything. It took care of their family and, and loved them and supported them. And I mean, this the, the world would just be a whole different type of place. And that's just something that's something I talk about in the, the book also extensively about family because some families today, it's like um, my second book, a lot of people, a lot of people today, just because you, you think, just because this is your mother or this is your father, they're supposed to love you. Now, in nature, that's what you think. But in reality, yeah. that doesn't always happen. And no. I grew up watching programs like The Waltons and, you know, Good Times and all that stuff mm-hmm. where the family supported each other. You know, you sit down at the TV. You know, you, I mean, you sit down at the dinner table and you eat together and, you know, that kind of stuff. But in reality, it wasn't like that. So no. um, looking at one thing growing up, and actually experiencing something else when I actually went out there into the world because my grandmother was, my great-grandmother was actually really my only um, foundation when it came to that. Everybody else was living that other, other life, you know what I mean? They, uh, right. They were selfish and self-centered. See, Grandma's the thing was dinner's on the table at 3 o'clock. If you're not at the dinner table to eat at the 3 o'clock, you don't get food. There you go. So, there you go. And I bet you that, 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 that table got 245. <laughs> <laughs> you come home from school, you wash your hands, you're sitting at that table and waiting on dinner because otherwise you're not getting dinner tonight. You that's don't right. complain that's about right. what's it, on the it, table, it, it, you just eat it. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. You, I, you never heard any of the, um, uh, I don't need this. I don't like that. And, and I do that. I have my grandson, who is actually my grandson, is actually the picture on the cover of the book. Um, uh, but you say, listen, if you're not, if you, if you're hungry, you're gonna eat what's put in front of you. If you're not hungry, then you're not hungry. But you know, hungry people eat what's put in front of them. You know what I mean? So that's that's one of those old school values too. Now people today, you know, they got their kids telling them what they're gonna eat and what they're not gonna eat because I guess some of them haven't experienced uh, hunger. Uh, exactly. They've been eating all of this processed food and and, and things like that. So. That's, like I said, old school values are definitely something that has been instilled in me and, and, and definitely drive uh, my future endeavors. See, I tell my daughter, I'm not a short order cook. I cook one meal, you either eat it or you don't eat. There you go. That's right. That's how I have That's right. There you go. You'll eat it and you'll like it. <laughs> yep. And you know something else, uh, I, I, I write this in the, the book also 
uh, speaking about old school values. Um, and here's the difference, and, and, and this is something that people, some people will dis, dis, have disagreements on. But my grandmother whooped my ass from time to time, okay? Mm-hmm. And But there was a difference between a whooping and someone beating you. Yes. Okay? You hear people talk about today, oh, I'm going to beat you, I'm going to this and that. It was a whooping, I deserved it. There were things mm-hmm. that I did that I deserved. She used to love to catch me out that bathtub, you know what I mean? You think everything is cool oh, yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah that, that, that's cool, school. But it was something, in, and it was done to discipline you, to teach you. It wasn't done out of anger. Today, I think a lot of people confuse a whooping, that old school mm-hmm. word, with a beating. You know, and I think it's especially with younger parents. They want to beat their child, and they think they're going to beat some discipline or beat their sense to some child. Like my um, my daughters, I spanked one twice in her whole life, and I didn't want to spank her no more because I started asking myself this question. If you... um corporal punishment your children and that's how you control them when they get too big to receive a corporal punishment then how do you control them how do you discipline them so that's something that I've taken out of uh, let's say our repertoire of disciplinary actions as far as dealing with uh, my children and for that one reason because when they got too big to so called beat then how are you going to control them? And I think that's what is happening with a lot of our youth today. Their parents have beat them and beat them, and, and their children grew up with the fear of punishment of a beating. But then when they get big, and they're like, well, they can't beat me no more. Now what are they going to do? Now you got these kids right. running around doing the things that they're doing today. I think I've smacked my daughter on her behind twice. And she's learned when mom yells, because mom doesn't yell. I don't. I have <laughs> Me too. I'm, I'm really in trouble if mom's yelling. <laughs> so whatever uh-huh. I'm <laughs> I shouldn't be doing it. But, um, right. yeah, she, her thing is, if she's being doing something wrong, she gets her books taken away. My, she's a bookworm. She right, 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 right. See, I can take the TV, I can take the computer, I can take the tablet. That doesn't faze her. She doesn't care. I take away her books. Now, she's going to care about that. Right, something that they like. Her. Yeah. She doesn't care about the TV. She doesn't care about stuff like that, electronic stuff. I take away the books. She's, Absolutely. She's Absolutely. 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 And and you have to look also at um, when you were a child, Mm -hmm. because that's what we have to do now. We have to look at the things that affected us as a child, what worked, what didn't work. Because, like I say, I say this in the book, the players change, but the game stays the same. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Children are still children, okay? So the same things that would affect me, back then are going to affect the same way today, the children today. Like I had my my uh, grandmother, not my great-grandmother, but my grandmother, my mother's mother, 
They used to talk to me all the time. Never beat me a day in their life, you know? But they mm-hmm. talked to you for like an hour, telling you right. about what you did wrong and trying to explain it to you. And then you got to explain why you did it and you got to think about it and you got to go to Sometimes I'd be like, look, just beat my ass and get it over with so I don't have to hear you talk no more. You know what I mean? So I see little things like that. I, I do stuff like that with my grandson, and I did stuff like that with my daughters. I just talked them to death, but just talked about the situation, talked about, you know, why and how they were feeling and what motivated them to do whatever they did that caused the situation. And it seemed to work a lot better because now that's what they do with, their, with my grandson. They do a lot of talking. And communication is important because if the child is communicated with, then he learns how to communicate. But if he's learned to, but he learns punishment, everything is punishment, then that's how, in his mind, that's how he handles the situation. Everything has to be punishment. Somebody crosses him, somebody does something wrong, he feels betrayed by something, he doesn't want to communicate, he wants to lash out. So right. I think that that's one of the key things that are missing with our, our youth today, which is why, you know, this is why I said in the with, with the book, it's um the book is it's not only just about uh black people, it's about all people. There are lessons that can be learned that crosses all barriers. It doesn't have to go with race, creed or color. It's about humanity. And that's absolutely correct. Unfortunately, we don't have any more time today to continue this um, conversation, as wonderful as it's been, because we have so much here in common. <laughs> so oh, funny. yes, absolutely. But now, before you go, I want you to remember that they can get my book at ghettobastard.com. And for people who don't read but are curious about the book and don't want to buy it, if you go to ghettobastard.com, there's a little TV on the, 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 the website that comes right up. And it plays the first uh, chapter. It's an audio of the first chapter. There's a young lady reading uh, the first chapter itself, so they can go in and see what the book is about. If anyone that's inquisitive about it, and like I said, ghettobastard.com. It also has a store if you want to buy it uh, from from there. You can buy it from Amazon. It's a little cheaper at our website because. Amazon, boy, they they get you there, you know what I mean? They 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 promote you and they get you out there, but they sometimes they're a little steep price wise, you know what I mean? Oh, I understand. Being an author myself, <laughs> I I understand completely. <laughs> so, thank you again for being on the show. And thank you for having me. And maybe uh, after Ghetto Bastard uh, three, Life After Death comes out, uh, we can set up another interview after you read the books. Because I want you to read. Oh, the book. I would love to do that because, like and, I said, I've uh, only read through a couple pages here and there, but. Everything that we're talking about, different state, different circumstances, but it's very similar. And it's just absolutely, absolutely. When you said that you spanked your daughter twice on her on the butt, I was like, mm-hmm. oh my goodness, that's that's exactly what I did. You know, be twice. That was about it. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I want to, you know, I didn't. So I was like, wow, we have so many things in common, and with the grandparents. So just like I said, that's why ghetto bastard. It's not just my story, it's everybody's story. So right. I, I, I implore people to go out there, read it, book clubs, pick it up, because it's a page turner. I guarantee you, once you get to page one, you're not going to be able to put the book down unless you have to. And once you get to book two, you're going to beg for book three. <laughs> oh, excuse Guaranteed. 
I can't wait to read all three. And again, thank you for being on the show. And Atlanta, good night.